0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. And open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 this morning. Last week we had the awesome privilege to see a miracle again in God's Word. An awesome miracle performed by Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth in all of his authority, calming the raging seas. If you remember last week, the disciples, remember they were experienced fishermen. They would have been in storms before, but they were scared of that storm. They thought that they were dying. They were completely freaked out. Because they were about to go down. And then this Jesus, who claims to be God with them, is fast asleep. Fast asleep. And so they cry out to him. They cry out to him in their, in their fear. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? To which Jesus responds to the cries of his children. He responds to our cries. And the mere power of his words, he he commands creation to stop and to obey. He says, peace be still. And there was great calm. And out of that great calm, there was also great fear, the right fear. Great reverence for who he was, this God in their midst. And they said, who then is this that the winds and the seas obey him? And so as we looked at this story last week, we applied this God-sized truth into our lives that we need to fight fear with fear. Remember, our storms are never too big for him, right? Our storms are never too small for him. God is always bigger than our storm. And then as we turn to chapter 5, yes, I said chapter 5, we're, we're making some progress. We're flipping the page, a new chapter here this morning. Remember, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses, right? These are for us to, to reference and to organize. But we're turning into chapter 5. And guess what we get to see again? What do we get to see again? Another awesome, amazing miracle that testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. As we look today at chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, we're going to witness the miraculous exorcism, the deliverance of a legion of demons from a madman. And then you and I are going to be reminded by looking at this story, who we were, who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he calls us to do. Brothers and sisters, the gospel never fails to shine forth through God's word. And we're seeing that so loud and clear through the gospel of Mark. Story after story, miracle after miracle, the gospel never fails. So as we turn to that story, let me ask you, do you remember who you were before Christ? Do you remember who Christ really is? Do you remember what he really has done? And do you remember what he calls you to do? Well, as we turn to God's word in chapter 5, we're going to pray because we need the Lord's help always. We need the Spirit working together with the word that he has written. His role in our life is to be a comforter, right? But also to illuminate God's word. The things in this Bible are spiritually discerned. You cannot understand them for true spiritual formation in your life apart from the Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit who is always with us, who indwells us, to show us what's here and apply it to our hearts. So let's ask God for his help and then we'll read the text. Lord, we do thank you for this privilege, for this joy, for this this time of gathering yet again, week in and week out. You bring us together. We don't come here to worship something made up. We don't come here to worship ourselves. We come here to worship you. As we sang songs this morning, songs that that help our heart worship you, we pray that you would do your work in us. As we open your holy and sufficient and inerrant and infallible, always true, sufficient word, We confess that we need your Holy Spirit to be showing us what is true, what is right, what is holy, what is just. And so we confess that we need you. We understand, Lord, that in our sin, we can suppress the Holy Spirit. We can quench his power in our life. And and so we come to you this morning confessing and repenting of our sin because we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word, and we trust you to do that. We pray that you would move me aside and that you would preach to your people. We pray this in the name of King Jesus, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we're looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The Lord always blesses the reading and the study of his word. Now, we're just witnessing a gospel testimony. Now, we've probably listened to many gospel testimonies in our lives, salvation stories. Have you ever heard one that just seems so unbelievable, so shocking, such incredible change. And you marvel at how the Lord could save such a wretched person. I'm sure you've heard some of those radical testimonies, like, like a drug dealer coming to the Lord, or, or a prostitute coming to the Lord, or a murderer repenting and believing in Jesus. And he has forever changed. We love those stories. I recently read an article about a man named Robert McKelvey, And he started a satanic church in Houston, Texas. And they launched this church, church in quotations, of course, on Halloween of 2015. And he called it the greater church of Lucifer. Now, some local Christians got really upset and they started protesting. But some churches also started praying. And by the grace of God, within a year, of the launching of this church, the satanic pastor walks into a local Bible-believing church and through the love and the counsel and the mercy of God, through the, the counsel of a Christian pastor, Robert, the satanic pastor, repents of his sin and he gets saved. And he was soon baptized as a professing Christian. We love that. Don't you love that? To hear things like that. That's so awesome. To see how far somebody was from God and working against God. And yet God pursues them and by his mercy saves them. But sometimes in light of those stories, we then look at our own story. Right? And we, and we think, my story is boring. It's not as fantastic as that. Right? Maybe, maybe you grew up in church. And you don't even remember ever not believing in Jesus. Maybe you never drank. Maybe you never smoked or, for the young people, vaped. Maybe you never slept around. Maybe you never stole anything. And just one day, you heard the gospel and you were saved. Hmm. doesn't seem so radical, does it? You know, I had a friend who grew up as a pastor's kid, and he would always say to me, "My testimony is just not that interesting." Well, as we look at God's word today, He's going to speak against that. that. It's just not true. It's not true. Because your testimony is so much more. And as we look at this story of this demoniac's testimony, we're going to see that it's our testimony. It's our story. And we need to remind ourselves that our testimony is really radical. It is really true. And we need to remind ourselves of, of how awesome it is. And so the first truth that we need to remind ourselves as we're looking at this text is this. I was so utterly depraved. Indwelling evil ultimately destroys Verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs. And on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So as we turn to this, we we remember the context of what's going on here, right? Jesus and his disciples traveled throughout the night. Remember, there was the raging storm, and then it was calmed. And so they finished off their trip in calm, crystal, beautiful seas. And then they arrive on the shores of the land of the Gerasenes. We have a map here again just to remind you. Uh, it's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, about seven kilometers from Capernaum, where they set out from. And these disciples were probably thinking Jesus just wanted to get away again to a desolate place to escape the crowds, to rest, and to pray like he did before. But as they arrive on the shore, they're about to witness something Incredible at the hands of their Savior. And so verse 2 says that Jesus steps out of the boat, and then immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately, there's urgency in that word, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And so the first thing we see here is as soon as their feet touch dry ground, they discover this extremely strange man. And it says that he's living among the tombs. So back then, instead of digging a hole in ground, it was, it was a more common practice to carve out a burial chamber in the side of a hill or out of the rock. It, it was a place for the dead. And what was really crazy is, is that there's a man living in this place that is supposed to be for the dead. There's a really uncommon choice for this guy to be there. And as we look at the context as well, uh, the people coming and the the disciples and Jesus, they're they're all Jews. And what they would do is they would avoid burial grounds at all cost because a burial ground was an unclean place. You might come in contact with a dead body or, or something that has touched a dead body and that would make you ceremonial unclean. This man is living in an unclean place. And then if that wasn't bad enough, on top of that, the text says that he had an unclean spirit, which was meaning he was demon-possessed. He was demonized. Now, this is the third time in in the Gospel of Mark that we have have seen demon possession. Right? Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue in, in chapter 1, verse 25. And then we also hear in chapter 3, verse 1, that he was casting out demons, So it was a very normal thing. But what we're about to see is something far more serious. It's cranked up a notch here. This man's demon possession has caused him to become so isolated, so outcast, because he was a danger to society. Verse 3 says, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And so what they were doing was this, this crazy man, they're, they're trying to control him because he's so dangerous, and so they're taking chains to, to restrain him, right? We see them taking outward measures to try to restrain his inner problems. But he was powerful because of the indwelling darkness within him. He had supernatural strength. Verse 4, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. This was a very dangerous, powerful man. And so beyond putting him to death, even if they tried, beyond putting him to death, what they did was they tried to just protect themselves. And so they would try to chain him up, and then he would have to live among the tombs, away from the people. And verse 5 really shows us the, the, the struggle and the torture that he is going through night and day among the tombs, among these dirty, filthy places where dead people are. On the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So not only was he a dangerous to others, he was a danger to himself. He was cutting himself with stones. Most likely, this is just a carnal attempt on his part, to rid himself of the evil spirits within. I recently watched a missionary video down, uh, took place in South America. I don't know exactly where, but there is this unreached people group. And they were just recently reached by some missionaries. And as they got to know these people, they noticed on their arms and on their legs, slices and cuts and scars. These people didn't know Jesus. They don't have the light of the gospel yet. But they knew of the evil world and they knew that they know that evil is tormenting them and so they would cut themselves to try to, to get the evil spirits out. And so this demon-possessed man is doing the same thing. He's so indwelled by the power of sin and evil has such a stronghold on him that he tries everything in his own strength to get the evil out. And we see him here crying in anguish because of the torment of the evil inside of him. Crying out and destroying himself in pain. Indwelling evil ultimately destroys. Now you may be asking, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me, Pastor? I'm not possessed by demons. I'm not living at the Calgary Cemetery. I'm not breaking chains and having hysterical fits and and cutting myself with stones. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. You're not doing that. You're not demon-possessed like this man, but you are more like him than you think. You were more like him than you think. In many ways, the testimony of this demon-possessed man is also our testimony. Because like this tormented soul, before Christ, before you met him, you were so utterly depraved. Utterly depraved. Totally depraved. In our indwelling sin, in our unrepentant state, Evil was dwelling within us and destroying us. And we see this throughout all of Scripture. From beginning to end. And it's so important for us to to remember and to understand. If we remember all the way back to Noah and the flood, what was the reason God was destroying the earth? Genesis 6, 5. "The The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Apart from Christ, our hearts and our minds are evil. Ecclesiastes 9.3, The hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Mark also says in chapter 7, verse 21 to 13, from, for from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. They make you unclean. And so as this demoniac suffers the torment of his own doing. We need to remind ourselves that we were also so utterly sinful. And our indwelling evil was ultimately destroying us. And as we look at the world around us who don't know Christ, they're trying to salve these sores by trying to treat it from the outside. Right? Apply some religion try to be good, do something to get to heaven. We try to relieve the pain from within through outward measures, just like these people trying to shackle him and and contain him, and then him trying to cut out the evil out of him. These people need the truth of the gospel, and so did we. And so his story informs our story, and we need it to remind ourselves of the truth that we were in the same condition. We were outcast from the presence of God and from his people. We were walking among the dead. We were breaking out against all sound judgment. We were unrestrained. We were crying out for relief. And we were depraved to the core. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, this is who you were. Remember that. This is who you were. We need to remember our depravity. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you have not turned away from your sin and depravity, you are still here. You are still among the dead. You are still among the tombs. And you need relief. You need salvation from yourself. All that anguish and pain is crying out that I need Jesus. And you were tormented by your own evil doing. And so we see as this madman rushes towards Jesus, the the disciples don't know what he's about to do. But what we see next is that Jesus is so powerfully God. He is so powerfully God. Jesus compels the hardest hearts and expels the darkest demons. Verses 6 to 13. And when we saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you done with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The tormentor doesn't want to be tormented. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him, he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a great herd of pigs that was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea destruction so to add to this potentially dangerous scenario the gospel of matthew also tells us there was actually two men there this man had a companion even though mark only focuses on one and together they were known to terrorize anyone who would come near the tombs matthew 828b two demon possessed men met him Coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Everybody stayed clear of this place. And I love that about Jesus. As people are running away from evil, he runs towards evil to save them. And so as these two men run towards Jesus and his disciples, hoping to terrorize more victims, Mark shows us that something changes here. When the one man sees Jesus from afar... Instead of terrorizing, he falls down before him. The word being used here is proskeneo, which means to worship. He cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Just like the demon in the synagogue. The demon inside of this man is in control of this man and instantly knows that he is in the very presence of the Son of the Most High God. He is in the presence of the Creator of the universe. And that Jesus has full authority over him to to destroy him. Verse 8. Jesus was commanding him to come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And the tormenting demon pleads out for his own existence. He knows that there's a coming day when they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, when Satan and all his host and the earth and the universe are going to be cast into the lake of fire, but he wants to, to still remain alive. He says, I adjure you by God. By God, this demon is trying to adjure Jesus. Do not torment me. See, the demon knows that this, his days are numbered. You know, the spiritual realm, demons are, are fallen angels. They fell with Lucifer. And they know they only have so much time. And then Jesus Commands him to come out. And when he does that, he asks him what his name is. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So not only was there one demon in this man, there were many demons working all together as a legion inside of him. Now now back then, legion, and it is today as well, legion is a military term. And back then, at this time, Roman legions consisted of 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen. Therefore, even though we don't get the exact number, we we can attest that there was a great multitude of demons inside of this man. And he begs him earnestly not to send them out of the country. It seems that this area, the garrisons and the Decapolis, was under a stronghold by Satan. Pagan religion was there. It was a a Gentile land, and, and Satan and the spiritual realm had power over that area, and they didn't want to lose their power. And so there's this great herd of pigs. Great herd of pigs, again. Pigs signifying uncleanness, right? Jews didn't eat pigs. God told them, that this was unclean for them at that time. And they begged him, verse 12, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gives them permission. And so we see these unclean spirits coming out of this man and going into unclean pigs. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. Like the calming of the storm the night before and, and Jesus calms the storm by the word of his power. By his word, the demons come out, enter these pigs, and destroy themselves. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this that Satan and his spirits must obey him? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is so powerfully God. We see it again, even in a more powerful example right here. And so we need to be in absolute awe again of his power and his authority. And the truth that we see is that Jesus compels the hardest hearts and expels the darkest demons. If Jesus can draw the the demons out of this possessed maniac And he can draw this man towards himself by the word of his power and deliver thousands of demons and destroy them forever. Do you think that he can save you in your indwelling sin? Do you think he can save that brother of yours who is being tormented by his own sin? Or that sister that is drowning in her own depression? Or that child whose heart seems so hard? Or that coworker that seems to be so steeped in the new age, and the occult? Or maybe even this, even that sweet elderly lady down the street who bakes cookies for all of the new neighbors. And yet her heart is so hard and so far from God. He can save her as well. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear that before we met Jesus, we were in deadly bondage to our sin. We were living under the domain of darkness ruled by none other than Satan himself. Ephesians 2, 1-2, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were living among the dead. Like this demoniac. And you were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of of disobedience. His evil spirit was in us. In our disobedience, in our sin, he was our leader. Just like the Pharisees, when Jesus said to them, you were of the Father, you were of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do the Father's desires, John 8, 44. Friends, like them, we were under the power of our Father, Satan, and following him. First John 5, 19b, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we were unclean. We were unclean like this man. Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We were dirty. We were unclean. Isaiah 6.5, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We were unclean. So as extreme as this example is in Mark, we were more like him than we want to think. And what's been done for him is no harder than what's been done for us. As he has been delivered from darkness, so have we. And for the unbeliever here, you have to understand that if you have not been delivered from your darkness through the power of the gospel, repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ, you are still there. You are still in bondage to your sin. And like these demons being pulled out of this man, and Jesus sends them to be destroyed in the lake, our destruction apart from Christ is looming. And so for the Christian, this is our story. This is our story. It's the gospel. Jesus, he is so powerfully God. We need to run to him. Run to him. Jesus compels the hardest hearts and expels the darkest demons. And so we see this legion of demons infesting 2,000 unclean pigs. And then destroying themselves in the lake. But what about this, this man? This naked, scared, scarred, tormented man that's left behind. Well, if if he could walk in the door here and and attest to who he was, he would tell you. He would tell you who he was. And he would tell you what Jesus did for him. That's what we're seeing in his word, his testimony. He would say, Jesus completely changed me. He so completely changed me. Friends, the transformative gospel compels some and confronts many. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. I mean, how could you keep that kind of news to yourself? Right? And people came to see it. They came to see what had happened. They had to see it because they had to see it to believe it. Was this really true? And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. And he was sitting there. And he was clothed. And he was in his right mind. Sitting. Clothed. And in his right mind. That's your testimony. This is so awesome. This is so incredible. As Jesus brought calm to the sea the night before, so he calms the soul of this man. And it was a great calm. This man who had been tormented day by day and night by night under the power of sin and demons, and he is now seated and he is listening to Jesus. He is in the presence of the Lord and he's calm. And he's at peace. This would have completely blown the mind of any onlooker. This isn't the crazy man that they knew. He's no longer running around. He's no longer going from tomb to tomb, terrorizing everybody. He's no longer destroying himself, screaming, screaming, They don't need to try to chain him anymore. They don't need to put shackles on him. He has completely changed. And he's been set free. John one thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, you are what? You are free indeed. He is free indeed. So friends, do you remember when you were changed? Do you remember that day when the shackles fell off? And you were chained. Do you remember the day when Jesus called you out of your darkness? When you were set free from your evil sin and your evil heart? Do you remember how awesome that was? Such peace. Such peace where there once was so much turmoil, so much sin, and your eyes were open to the truth. And now, in that peace, You hunger for God's word. You hunger for God's people. You hunger to be in his presence. You desire it. You've been given new desires. You hunger for the very words of God. Do you remember that? When when the chapter of your wayward evil has now been closed and new life has come. You know, we sing about this. We sing about it all the time. That's one of the reasons that we sing. And that's what I experience. When I sing the truth of what God has done, it keeps reminding me of how far I was and how close he has brought me near and what he has done. We sing this amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We have to keep on reminding ourselves of this this truth. And as they tagged on another stanza to that, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. That's why we sing. Our God has been so good to us, so merciful to us. That he freed us from ourselves. He freed us from our own destruction. And so it's the right response to sing. But we see something different here with the locals there's no revival, there's no mass repentance. The text says that they were afraid. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed men, to the pigs. And they began to beg, just like the demons. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So opposite of what we would think would happen. And so what is going on here? What kind of a reaction is this? You know, when the disciples, when they witnessed Jesus calm the seas the night before, they were afraid, but it was a righteous fear, it was a right fear, it was reverence. It was a fear that would draw them closer to Jesus, but what we see here is that these people are afraid and they want Jesus to be as far away from them as possible. It's telling us that they don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see this truth yet. They couldn't deny the change of this demoniac, but instead of believing, they were confronted by fear. And they reject Jesus. And they beg him to leave them. To leave their land. The truth is that the transformative gospel does compel some, but it confronts many. And it still does today. These people didn't want to lose the world that they had. They wanted to hold on to darkness. John three nineteen. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. They wanted to keep company with Satan and his demons rather than come to the light. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In their case, the God of this world that is Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to lose what they had. In a... A recent award-winning movie probably played on this screen behind me. Uh, it's The uh, Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper and, and Lady Gaga. The main actor, Bradley Cooper, he's a famous country music star. And he's struggling with substance abuse and he's struggling with extreme depression. And in this film, he sings this hopeless song. It's a song rejecting the truth of God. And some of the lyrics are like this. Just listen closely. He says, Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Nobody speaks to God these days. Nobody knows what waits for the dead. When I was a child, they tried to fool me. Said the worldly man was lost and that hell was real. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. He's rejecting the truth that he was told as a child. Like the people in in our text today responding to the transformation of this demoniac, the character, his eyes are blinded. And he he was told the transforming truth of God, of heaven and hell, but yet he chooses to reject it. And if you've seen the movie, it ends tragically. This is the world. This is what they're holding to. This is what they're believing. These are their thoughts. They are blinded from seeing the light of the truth of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, and they reject him. So we need to ask ourselves, are we rejecting this truth still? If you're an unbeliever this morning, you're rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. And especially if you're here among us and you've heard the gospel over and over and over, Are you hearing the truth about Jesus, but yet you want him to be as far away from you as he can? Because you know that, that he wants to change you, which means you have to let go of stuff here and you have to hold on to him as he holds on to you. Going to Christ means you have to give up the sinful desires of this world, of the flesh. It means you have to turn from your sin. It means you have to trust in him. And as I say that, I think of the young people here again. I want you to listen up. Don't look at what God is doing in your parents' lives and choose to reject it. The transformation you see in them is meant for you to come to him. Don't trade it for hell. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Run in repentance to the Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, the testimony of this demon-possessed man so far has been this, right? First, I I was so utterly depraved, but he is so powerfully God. He has so completely changed me. And then in verses 18 to 20, we see he so urgently sends me. Transformed sinners must share the gospel story. Transformed sinners must share their gospel story. Verse 18, as, as he, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And what does he do? He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. He so urgently sends me. He so urgently sends you. Transformed sinners must share their gospel story. Jesus' whole purpose for setting out from Capernaum to the Gnasarines, was now complete. And in this incredible miracle, freeing this man from this legion of demons and transforming his life forever has been completed. But he began a work in him. He began a work through this man that needed to be heard in this pagan land even though he begged Jesus to stay and learn and become a close following disciple, Jesus doesn't allow it. Because the mission at hand was too urgent. It was too pressing. The land that this man comes from is full of people entrenched by the darkness of evil. They were on their way to hell if he didn't go to them. Great urgency. And so what we see here is actually, what we're actually seeing in this man is the very first person that Jesus sends out as a missionary. As one to go and share the gospel. We know that he's preparing the 12 to go. But he sends this man, this demoniac, He commissions him to go out and to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And his marching orders are this, go home. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so as a truly transformed believer of Jesus does, he goes. He he obeys. He gets it. He trusts That what Jesus is sending him for is true and is going to do its work. Even though he's not going to be following in the footsteps of Christ like the other disciples. God is still with him. Jesus is still with him and is sending him. And and get this. He's got enough of the story. This miraculous transformation in his life. The truth about what God has done is enough. Enough. Right then and there. This simple but profound message was enough. I was so utterly depraved. But Jesus is so powerfully God. He so completely changed me. And now he urgently sends me. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. This is our marching orders. This is our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, calling also to us to go and tell the world how much the Lord has done for you. That we were so utterly depraved. That we were destined for destruction because of our sin. But we met Jesus. And he is so powerfully God that he saved our soul from Satan. He saved us from ourself. He delivered us from the domain of, of darkness, and he brought us into his marvelous light. And now we have peace with God. And we have been so completely changed by him, and we are being changed by him. This is the demoniac's story, and this is our story. And it's enough. It's enough to share and turn the world upside down. Yes, we want to train ourselves for, for sharing this, And it's only going to be helpful to know this word inside out. But right now, you can walk out those doors. You can talk to the employees of of this theater. You can go over to the Tim Hortons and talk to people there. You can go to the hospital. You can go everywhere and share enough that they can come to know Jesus Christ and have saving faith in Him. You can believe that and obey that. He goes in obedience. He went away and he began to proclaim it in the Decapolis. That's the greater Gentile region east of the Galilee. And as the missionary to that land, he goes. And he tells them how much Jesus has done for him. And get this, everyone marvels. Everyone marvels at this truth. God used him. God used his gospel transformation story to do his work, and he wills to do the same through yours. If you go. So your story is not boring. Your story is incredible. Your story is radical. Remind yourself today that you were so utterly depraved, and that indwelling evil ultimately destroys Remind yourself this, that Jesus is, he was so powerfully God, he is so powerfully God. And that he compels the hardest hearts and he expels the darkest demons. Trust that he will do that. He so completely changed you. The transformative gospel compels some and confronts many. And he so urgently sends us. Transformed sinners must share their gospel story.